Hello and welcome. Uh, we're back with more good times on the firemen. This time I wanted to get at the use of space in firemen. I am, as ever, your host, Golem, aka Greg. With me is someone new. Please introduce yourself. Um, hi, I'm Daniel. Uh, I sometimes write books about video games. Um, yeah, thank you for having me on. Yeah, good to have And uh, Adrian, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. Uh, <laughs> That's very convincing. Well, the friggin' Elgato wasn't working. I think my computer's too slow. Ah, that sucks. So, having a hard time trying to record Valkyria Chronicles. So just first to get a good idea of the breadth, our topic here. Daniel, how much variety of space is there in the Fireman? Well, this is something that we we talked about a bit earlier uh, in text, and it's something that really interested me when I looked at this game. So it's a 2D game um, from the top-down perspective, so I guess I kind of think of the nature of space in the Fireman as operating in between 2D and 1D. So 2D is just like your normal open environments, um, and then you know, because this game is focused on moving and shooting through space, the nature of the rooms and how they're set up, and if you're in a room or a corridor, if there's a corner here or there, that all plays into you know how you engage with the um, gameplay challenges. And so there's certain areas where you just have 1D space, which is like if you're moving down a corridor or a hallway. And in these situations, enemies will... Do we call them enemies or do we call them fire or what? I'm not, I'm not sure. It's fine to say enemies. Enemies, okay, yeah. So the enemies can either come in from behind or in front of you. And a lot of your engagement with the incoming fire is basically along a 1D plane. So the fire comes in and you've got to manage how close you are to the fire as you're trying to douse it. Yeah, so certain areas like the bosses are usually set in open arenas where you can engage with 2D space. So you're moving horizontally and vertically and diagonally and so on to get around all the layered challenge. And then you've got like these corridors which are you know, like are very narrow and you've got fewer options and you're mainly trying to manage how close you are to the incoming fire. And then you've got other areas which kind of fall somewhere between that spectrum. All right. Adrian, is there anything you would you would want to add? I guess I would probably just throw in another question. I'm rushing through his notes right now because I realized that um there's a, a fireman section with some of his notes on. Mm. And one of the things he goes over is a mix between close and open environments. Yep, that's right. Because earlier you were saying something about how it can switch between 2D and in some ways somewhat 1D. I mean, it's not literally mm. 1D, but... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, narrow corridor, but so it it funnels the fire down a path, so it's not like it's going to hit you from the side. It's always going to be coming from the same direct general direction. Mm. I don't know. I didn't know what to really make of that. Yeah, well, I mean, you're certainly right in that it's not fixed 1D. I mean, because you can still move left and right within the uh, like up and down and left and right within the corridor. Um, I tend to think of it as being more like 1D space. Because um, the overall perspective is so zoomed in, um, enemies come in really fast and it really stresses your reaction skills. And so usually um, I uh, I find that it's best in these situations to use the, uh, I don't know what you what you guys have been calling it, but the 
like the short range kind of shield fight, um, uh, the shield spray, because I find that that has a wider um, hitbox and that can kind of cover you from those side angles. So when you're in a corridor and you're using like the short range spray, it'll um, it'll kind of negate the need to move left and right. So mm-hmm. so because of the preference towards that mechanic, the space it becomes more one D. Okay. But never really fully there. But it's kind of like in terms of what you're actually doing in the game, like there's no real reason to move left and right, or uh, I should say side to side. Speaking of the zoomed-in view, um, I was wondering if anyone else kind of thinks that maybe this game should have a bit more space to the game and not a reserved text chat thing. I don't know. I was speaking with Bleach, and uh, he was he had a concern that might be like a consideration for a performance. Yeah, and I, I don't I, know if it's any bigger on the uh, Fireman too. You mean for uh, like technical performance? Right, so that if you like you if you went all the way to the bottom of the screen, you might get frame rate suffering. Oh, yeah, the Super Nintendo does. Yeah. That tends to happen with some Super Nintendo games, yeah. Yeah, cuz I noticed in like uh I think the boss in level 5, there was a lot of um sprite flashing because you know, there were too many sprites on screen. Um <laughs> and I guess that probably could have been a issue if there was more screen space, but yeah, overall it is a problem, right? Because it's so easy for like some enemy just to quickly move in and like just feel that blind spot, and you just can't react in time, and then you lose health, and then you know you've only got a handful of lives, so it's very so those little blind spot catches can really um, lead to you to your death in, uh, in some cases, and that's a real pain. And to to put into perspective uh, how little room there actually is, there is about three tiles underneath your character sprite, and your character itself is about two tiles big, so that's like one and a half the size of your character away from you that you have to react. And some of those fires can actually move pretty fast, so it's very easy for them to cover that space in a short amount of time. Yeah. Like, in the same way that on the corridors squish the space down into 1D, in a sense, like, the perspective also kind of limits the, I guess you could say, the richness of the 2D space, because they can't fit as much in there, and there's, and so, because enemies come in so quickly, you don't have enough time to read and respond and engage with the way that the different patterns are layering up together and creating these really cool challenges. Actually, a thought just came to me. Do you know if enemies move slower when they're moving uh, up and down on the screen? Or do they move at the same speed that they move horizontally? I believe they move at the same speed, but that's a good question that I want to Mm. look in myself. Yeah, that's a great question, yeah. Hmm. Alright. I know one thing is that um, there's actually more space above you than there is below you. Because mm, yeah. if you're thinking about the character's hitbox, it's actually going to be at the base of the sprite, which is where their feet are. So, yeah, there's actually more space above it. Mm. And just to flesh out the variety of spaces, when you talk about the variety of space between very open and very constricted, sometimes you'll get spaces that are open but uh, have spaces you can't walk and fire can't go, or spaces you can't walk but you can still shoot over and you can use that as like cover from fire. 
sometimes. Yeah. The, actually, the mid-game has a lot of networks of, like, crisscrossing uh, 1D pathways. Uh, so those are a couple of ways in which it explores that middle ground. Yeah, I think actually there's a there's a middle uh, middle ground here, which is in the kind of ground fires. So you've got your main fire, which is like just basic enemies, like if you walk into them or if they or if they attack you, then you lose health. But then you have these kind of like small brush fire, ground fire enemies, and they just kind of fill space. And you can walk into them, but you can't like well, you can walk up to them, but you can't walk through them. And so basically, they just act like kind of like a blocking mechanism. And I think. There's a really cool um, organic aspect to these enemies, where like especially in uh, I think it's like the fourth or the fifth level. There's like this kind of um, warehouse room, and you've just got these um, this enemy that leaves a trail that just blocks your path, and it slowly fills the space and limits all your options. And yeah. I really love that that kind of interesting like organic space creation and how like if you get in early you can kind of prevent these enemies from filling in on the room and limiting all your options because you know once your options um, are limited then it's obviously much harder um, to get out and the only way that you can get out is by using the uh, the short range spray where you have to move really slowly anyway so like that's a really interesting um i guess side note to to the nature of space in this game i guess i'll just add about three things. One is that um, there are two bosses that are that have ground fire. One is the level the level three boss, which is the robot. Once it becomes just a head, it starts leaving that ground fire long, which I think is the one you're referring to. The level the stage five boss uh, is actually one of its main attacks that it does right from the get go. Uh, that was also the boss that I realized that you can actually touch those things. Because I've been playing this whole game thinking you could not touch the ground fires, but it turns out you actually can. So it's its yeah. way of getting you stuck, and then it just rams itself right into you. Yeah, and what's really interesting about that boss in level 5 is that it'll choose a direction, and then as it moves, it'll leave a trail behind it. And its direction is based on your current position. Um, you know, that takes like a second or two um, to move over um, into yeah. that position. And so... It's kind of like, 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 it's even more organic then, because you're determining where the space is going to be filled. And it creates this really interesting challenge, right? Where you're trying to, where you're trying to lead the enemy in certain ways so that you won't limit your own options. Yeah. Let's say development of the third stage boss, where it will also track to your position, uh, but instead of, instead of spawning ground fires, it will spawn a single tracking fire in its wake. Um, yeah, the, the tracking fire that has to sort of be awakened. It, it's this little, you know, a little innocuous fire far away, but once you get close to it, it it all of a sudden goes Super Saiyan and then chases you to the death. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> you know, I guess one thing about discussing this game is how weird it is to talk about the specific types of fire. <laughs> yeah. So like, uh, like in my notes, I'm like, yeah, mother fire, baby fire, small fire, big fire, ground fire, <laughs> tracking fire, you know, like fireballs. <laughs> yeah, I've been giving them names like surprise chasers, slug fires, weird exploding fire. Um, actually, on this space topic as well, it's kind of unrelated because I mean, this is true of all the enemy types that move, uh, uh, that aren't stationary, but you've got those enemies that kind of move 
diagonally in 90 degree turns and they come in waves of like four or five. The ones like that are re- introduced in stage six? Possibly, yeah. I think they're quite late in the game. Okay. And yeah, like they're really good for this too, right? Like, like just filling in a lot of space. But mm-hmm. unlike the ground fire, they're just temporary. Oh, yeah. I remember the third thing was there is actually a new enemy type that also shoots that ground fire at you, which can use to trap you. So oh, yeah, that uh, that appears in the Christmas tree room in stage six. Right. That's the one. It can also uh, shoot at you while it's off screen. So I guess that's another example <laughs> of the screen limitation this game had to work with. Well, it's really annoying. I think in the, like, in that Christmas tree room, um, I think it's in that one where like that's already kind of like there's obstacles in your way. You haven't like you got a few choke points, and then you've got another enemy that's filling in like the already limited amount of space. It it can get a bit tricky. On that topic, uh, are there particular fires that you think are more suited to a particular kind of space, or are the fires more general purpose where they could be used in any kind of space? Well, I think the the enemies that leave a trail of ground fire obviously suit larger environments because otherwise they don't have a lot of space to work with. Now, in the last example that we said with like uh, with the Christmas tree room and there's already not a lot of space, those kinds of challenges are more frequent in the last three levels and they're kind of a bit um, a bit too dense, I think. Yeah. Uh, per, yeah, I, I had issues because um, on my second attempt, I died on level six. But um, some of those fires were a bit frustrating. There were fires that would chase you, but they did not act like the surprise chasers, where they start off as this little dim fire that you can notice, and then they go big, and then they follow you. It was these fires that were immediately coming at me before I even saw them on the screen. And what kept happening was... I kept needing to crawl back into the vent and reset the room because it would not <laughs> get away from the vent. <laughs> you just got to go Danny into place. In-game Danny. Yeah. Mm. Um, so it sounds like there there are two things happening. Uh, one, that the constricted sense of space doesn't leave you much time to read what's coming up. And two, there's so much layering going on and enemies are so effective of covering the screen that your options are reduced pretty quickly. Mm, yeah. yeah, that's certainly true. I mean, on the first is a problem of perspective, and then on the second is a problem of the um, composition of the game challenges. Um, and they really go a bit overboard. Like, there's just... It's not too much of an issue, but what it really does is it just slows you down a lot. And it's like, you know, it takes you longer to find all, like, the key enemies. So, like, if you enter a busy room... The first thing that you normally do is you look for those key enemies that are going to spawn, like, say, the larger fire that spawn, you know, additional fire, like, those kind of... um, The source fires. um, Yeah, yeah, like the source. So you just look for the source and then remove those, and then you worry about, like, the the small ground fire. And so, yeah, sometimes it can get a bit too hectic. But I think it's not too bad, though. I mean, it's not too much of an issue, but it can be just, like, time-consuming sometimes, and sometimes it's, like, there's too many enemies that there's just, like, you just can't read it enough. Like, there's too much, it's too complicated, it's too dense, and it's overlapping, and it's not very clear. The counterpoint, as we'd say, like, it's not very, like, like, you just can't feel it. It's all just mushed. Yeah. 
I know the um, the first time playing stage six, because there were other fires going on, I did not notice the slow exploding fire that was coming directly at me. It took me a while to even recognize what that was. Mm, yeah, me too. And they are horrible. Yeah. <laughs> or those are oh yeah, there's there's this fire that uses the same sprite as another type of fire. But it acts very differently, where if you shoot it, it does this four-way split. And the other thing is that when you try to hose down the four-way splits, they typically move faster that you cannot douse them before they hit. So you're best just moving out of the way, but naturally the first time you encounter them, you don't actually know that. Mm. Yeah, Um, what's what's really weird about the um, those splitting crossfire ones is that Sometimes they explode on their own, um, and other times they explode because you douse them. And mm-hmm. sometimes, like, you'll be trying to douse it, and then it'll reach the end timer regardless of how much you've been spraying at it, and that's really off-putting. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, something me and Greg sort of talked about earlier, where one of the things was, uh, especially with some of those, the surprise fires, is that they have a different health bar and that they take longer to douse than other fires, but don't have any real way of knowing it. It's not like the fire goes dimmer the more you hose it down. It's sort of just you hit it with fire. I think there's a distinct, there is a distinct audio cue for when you're dousing fire, I think. I hope I'm yeah. not wrong on that. But after a certain amount of time, it just goes, poof, it's gone. There's no real animation. In fact, I don't, I'm not even sure if it flickers or flashes white. So that does anything like that. I think it just was a little bit slower. I can't even tell. Those slug fire tower, they they stay constant speed, so they don't even have uh, hits done. I guess you could say. On one hand, that prefers the player that uh, meticulously memorizes minute details that are difficult to discern just by watching the game. Uh, <laughs> but on the other hand, I personally found it pleasant in that it was a source of tension having to gamble how much time I needed to spend on one fire while another one was creeping up from behind me. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. And that's, and, and that's actually the thing that sustains those 1D corridor situations. I mean, and that and happens in many cases, right, where you'll be trying to manage your relative distance and try and keep a distance, so spraying it but still not being that close. So, yeah, but I think still, though, like, if you can... Um, if you can visually see it, then there's still a timer there. The only difference is that you can read, um, you can see it on the screen, or you just have to memorize it. But having to memorize that timer, in a sense, it kind of brings you a bit closer to the action, right? Because you've got to have a sense for it. You've got to have it memorized, and you've got to be able to feel it out in real time. As to whether it's worth it, though, um, I mean, it depends. I think it would be clearer for feedback. However, I think given the SNES hardware, it's probably it might not be that feasible and flashing might look like, you know, there's too many sprites on the screen, some kind of technical fault or something like that and Well, uh, the bosses flash just fine. True, yeah um, I mean, I guess I'm thinking like if you're using the short range spray and the water is already on top of a relatively small fire and then you've got to give feedback as well uh, it, it might be a bit a bit too much. Yeah yeah, for dousing like ground fire, which goes away almost instantly, it's fine that it doesn't flash white. 
it's for the ones that take a while to kill, like yeah. those chasers or the um, the slug fires, slug fires, the exploding crossfires where you can shoot them, but they actually don't stop moving and will keep moving through you and probably hit and mm. oftentimes can actually hit you even while you're spraying at it the whole time because they have a, they have quite a bit of health for their size compared to the other fires that have the same sprite as them that you've encountered before. Mm. Um, I guess a good point of comparison between remembering the health of the fire and also reading the distance, right? So the distance between your sprite and the fire um, is something that you can read on the like on the screen, yep. whereas this timing thing, based on the the health, is something that you have to memorize individually. Yeah, I just thought that was an interesting contrast with what you're saying. I mean, we're getting into the like real nuance of these challenges. I'm just thinking of, of like what that difference means. Although <laughs> we're getting pretty fine grained now, so <laughs> I I think in general a good rule for looking at challenges is uh there tends to be a contrast of two two sides of the same coin where. Like with this example, the space is explicit, but the time is implicit, and so you've got to bring those two into uh, into agreement. Or uh, another one that the fireman likes is that you will have a moving fire and then a stationary fire. The stationary fire will be a blockade that you want to clear before dealing with the moving fire or something like that. So just like picking one attribute and then varying on it both ways is an easy way to make an interesting challenge. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. Uh, especially when, you, um, as I was saying earlier, like you kind of go into rooms and based on what you can see, you kind of tag everything and you kind of form your like your mental checklist as well, which is what we do in a lot of games. You know, like we walk, like we find the edges of the environment and we walk around the edges and then we find oh, there's one, two, and three, and I'm going to approach them in this order. And then when you're actually uh, in a busy situation, then you also prioritize as well. And I think that's really good, actually, in that you've got the three types of enemies. You've got, what is it now? You've got the stationary, the moving ones, and then the tracking ones. And so you kind of have them in the order, right? So you've got, like, those tracking ones, you've got to get rid of them first. Then you get rid of the moving, and then you get rid of the stationary. Right. And it's really nice how they mix up the combinations of these three core types of enemies. Something earlier, actually, I think we can knock out two things at once. Well, earlier what we were talking about if whether the feedback of fire and its health, if that was worth it. One of the things you said in your notes is that the learning process can be protracted. I think I have an idea of what you're getting to there, but um, <laughs> I want to yeah. see what you have to say about that, what you yeah. mean by that. Now, you don't mind me discussing this topic now, Greg? You didn't want to save it for later? or No, this is as good a time as any. We're not, okay. we're not staying too loyal to the uh, topic of space. Okay, cool. So basically, in this game, you've got three lives, you've got to get to the end. If you can't get to the end, then you get a game over, and you've got to go all the way back to the start. And because of some of the, of the points that we've discussed before, such as enemies coming into your blind spots, that zoomed-in perspective, um, and the overall difficulty of the game, I mean, it's a challenging... SNES game by the standards of that era. So, well, naturally... I, wait. <laughs> I think this is pretty easy by the standards of the era. Ah, okay. Once well, you get into the later levels, like I, I think you could clear this easier than Contra Three. 
Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm playing, I don't laugh, um, Super Pro Protector, which is the PAL version of Super Contra. Oh. And that's really hard. <laughs> yeah, that's what it's called. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so stupid. Um, yeah. Yeah. But at least we got Feynman. At least we got Terranigma. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey. <laughs> anyway. Greg, anyway, you so, would admit that the stage three boss, or, yeah, I think it's a stage three boss, and the levels afterwards, they do have their challenging moments. Yeah. So, in any case, in order to get to the end, you're naturally going to play the initial levels more than the later levels, um, because you're going to fail and you've got to go back to the start. And so it is my opinion that, you know, this protracts the learning process, right? So if I'm stuck on the final boss of, let's say, in the game, right, I'm going to have to spend another... 40 minutes to an hour just to get back to, you know, try something new, right? Especially in boss situations, we'll often, like, mix up our tactics or try something so that we can, you know, get some feedback and see if it's the right thing to do. Having to take 40 minutes and having to repeat yourself is, like, it's just a long way um, of doing things. And I I thought of a really good way to explain it because I feel like, you know, coming into this, I thought that we'd probably be speaking quite, like, high level and, like, It'd be all jargonish, so I thought of a really good way underground this. So it's kind of like you're writing an essay in your English class, and if you get five spelling errors, you've got to rewrite the whole article again. <laughs> oh God! Now, now that sounds bad, right? And 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 actually, this kind of technique is something that I'll do when thinking about <laughs> games and learning. I'll be like, okay, if we did this in the classroom, what would it be like? And clearly, it's stupid, right? Like, we laugh, but that's what's happening in the game. Now, Greg, I know before in the comments that you did say that you find this on to be quite helpful because you can, you know, and the more that you repeat a stage, the more you can focus in on the certain details, you've got the scalable difficulty, and that's all legit, that's all good. And then I thought of a bit more for my metaphor. So rewriting what you've already written will indeed help you to write those earlier bits better, but it won't necessarily improve your spelling. That's Yeah, so if you die to the stage 6 boss, you may be able to improve your performance on stage 1, but replaying stage 1 doesn't lend anything to the stage 6 boss. That's right. I think if you view a game as like a a teacher, then I would say that, yeah, there are ways that the fireman could work better. I guess personally, I buy more into the view of uh, a game as like an album where... um. There's just a, a consistency to the experience that you want. And so uh, if you give passwords on each stage or something like that, then the player may be coming in media res, and that would be a different, I guess, aesthetic experience. I understand what you're saying, and it's like it's all based on, uh, I guess, how much one would want would want to be squeezed, right? Like, So when I played The Fireman, I, I will admit, I... I uh, I used in uh, in the later stages quite heavily used um, stage states, and that meant that I wasn't you know squeeze as much. It means I, I that I lost some of the inherent value in that process. But that's I mean it's all a balancing act, right? So uh, and I was thinking just then like what kind of solutions or alternatives could there be? Possibly more lives, possibly one or two continues, maybe. But again, I think we've a lot of the things that were discussed as well, like it's not great, it's not bad, it's it's just what it is, you know. It's 
and these other issues that we talked about before, like, yeah, it's sometimes annoying when there's too many enemies on screen or some of the feedback is annoying, but it, overall this is a great game. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah, it's really good. And the learning process is protracted, but it's not like, it's not like Bit Trip Runner or any of those games, which are just like one bit of failure and you're out. I guess maybe to help with learning process, I guess just have you continue from the the chapter, or I'm sorry, the stage that you died in, which is Castlevania rules. Yeah. So, for example, if you lose all three of your lives, instead of leaving off right where you drop dead, you just go back to the beginning of the stage. Yeah, that's that's certainly one um, option, and that would change the very nature um, of the game. Is that like what do you think about that, Greg? Would you be okay with a uh, retrying from the from the start of the stage? Yeah, I think that it makes sense with a stage so long that to have that uh, immediate start back when you use a rest, but to have a continue that would start you back at the beginning of the stage seems reasonable. Oh, another thing was the um, the health dip. What did you make of that? So, Daniel, I don't know if you caught this, but when there's some percentage of time left, I think it varies depending on how much time you started with. Sometimes it's a minute 30, sometimes it's a minute 50. Your health goes down all the way to one, and then your health goes down all the way to one again when you reach zero. Yeah, okay, that explains quite a bit, because I know, <laughs> <laughs> um, I know it, yeah, at the end of um, Chapter 5, I was running a bit short on time, and you know, I'd always go for the optional files, I'd always try and do a comprehensive run, and... I got to this point and I'm like, why is my health draining randomly? And I thought it was because, like, there were, like I was walking over some burnt out areas, which I did see. I think someone on the forums mentioned that, maybe. But yeah, so you're sure it's the time, right? Yeah, if you know to watch for it, you can see it. It's predictable. Gosh. Well, I, I guess the problem that I have is it. You know, it's more like an odd quirk, like a weird abstraction that doesn't really belong there. Like, if they're going to give you a time limit, then when it gets to zero, that should be the end. Like, it seems, yeah, it seems like you like could really just... Odd uh, that they would put something else in there. Like, just incur a death and then put three minutes on the clock or something like that. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't tie into the fiction of the game or, or anything, so... Yeah, I think it's weird. I think they should just extend the timer of that stage and then have it when it's at zero, then you just... Like, you're just dead. Like, maybe there wasn't enough air, or the whole place collapsed. I mean, I think... <laughs> no, but, like, seriously, like, they would be more viable than, like, oh, like, your health just dropped. Yeah, it's real goofy. Yeah. But thanks for letting me know, because I was really, like... I, like, retried that section, like, six times. I'm like, why is it doing that? <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> yeah. I had to be the unlucky guinea pig having to fight the stage three boss when the timer timed out on zero. It does nothing when it's on zero, by the way. If you can keep going with just one HP left, uh, it'll do nothing. But once you do finally bite the dust, it'll give you more time and your health back, assuming you have life left. All right. Adrian, any final words? I'm going to be in the podcast tomorrow. Yes, you are. This isn't live, so I don't know why I'm saying that. <laughs> They're not going to have any sense of tomorrow. Well, they could be watching it, uh, they could be listening to it at, like, 
you know, eleven fifty nine, and then <laughs> and then it flicks over. In that extremely likely scenario, then yes, it will be accurate. Um, yep. Daniel, any final words? No, I think I think that's it. I think we've done a pretty good job of covering the vitamin. Um, yeah, I I think it's a great game. So um, and it was really great to play it. Um, I, the actual reason why I was keen to play this game as opposed to some of the other games that have been recommended is I was actually thinking of designing my own fire fighting game and I'm like cool I could learn something about this Whoa. but <laughs> and what I've learned is yeah I probably won't do that oh. <laughs> Love. Mm, maybe I will I don't know what about why not why would you not use the fireman template well that's the thing is you know I would <laughs> I mean it's a pretty good template I think but I don't know what I would do with it. I mean, you know, I'd make the perspective more zoomed out. I'd put your, you know, I'd put it so that you'd continue at the start of each level and and stuff like that. But I think this game already, like, I'd I'd be, I'd just be improving a game which is, yeah, just refining a game which is already pretty pretty good anyway. So, all right, yeah, I'll have to give it some more thought and see if I can come up with something. Mm. All right. Well, thank you both for joining me. <laughs>